Well, this isn't the first Easter. This is the first Easter that will be celebrated almost exclusively through digital channels around the world. And there obviously are some differences, though, between the first Easter and this Easter. Um, one being that they didn't have videos like what we've had so far this morning, or really they didn't have video at all, right? They also didn't, people in the first century didn't have screens or Zoom meetings competing for their attention. They also didn't have organized healthcare to help take care of them, which we're so blessed to have today. And while the list of differences between the first Easter and this Easter could go on and on and on, there's a lot of differences, I do think there's some interesting similarities. And so we're going to spend some time this morning looking at some of the similarities between the first Easter and this Easter. And one of the first similarities is that if we would have been at the first Easter, I think we would have expected some of the same things that the people in the first century at the first Easter expected as well. Basically, that a dead person stays dead. That's why there was no one outside the tomb counting down from 10, waiting for Jesus to come out of the tomb. 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, cue the sun, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1, boom, Jesus rises from the dead. There was really no one that was expecting a risen body, a body to be out of the tomb. They were all expecting Jesus to stay dead. But really, the real thing is that none of them really went to the tomb in the early morning expecting, again, Jesus to rise from the dead. Most of Jesus' followers were actually in their beds, probably still sleeping, when Jesus rose from the dead, because they weren't expecting it. But they did eventually go to try to anoint Jesus' body. But again, the reason why they did that even was because they expected Jesus' body to still be there, because he would still be dead. And the closest followers of Jesus sort of believe, they all sort of believe the same thing, that Jesus was at least a good teacher, a great teacher. Maybe he was also a miracle worker, somehow sent from God or a prophet of some kind. And maybe they just hoped that he was the Messiah or the Savior that God was sending to rescue them. But clearly they were wrong because God wouldn't let his Messiah die and to be crucified by Rome nonetheless. And so we can only sort of wonder what was going through their mind between the crucifixion and Easter morning. But what we do know is that it seems after a few days, those few days, the women wanted to do something. They felt like they had to do something. Now, it sort of goes without saying that men and women handle things differently, right? Breaking news. Yes, assume all of you knew that already. But one of the themes of the resurrection is that the women were on the front lines of the Easter experience, while the men were sort of hiding behind the doors of their houses, afraid of what could happen to them. And so one of the things that we were trying to highlight from the first video this morning was that the women in those experiences, that the women were reading those verses because they were the ones who were the firsthand accounts. They were the one who was there to experience and to see and to find that Jesus had risen from the dead. And so basically, after again, after two days, the women have to do something. They decide they have to do something and they want to do something for this person who has done so much for them and has helped them so much. And in the meantime, the men, again, on the other hand, are hiding and they're afraid and they don't want to be out and about. So the women want to get inside the tomb, they want to anoint Jesus' body, they want to help prepare Jesus' body for, for the burial and all the things that are going to happen. We're going to be in John chapter 20 if you want to follow along uh, in your Bibles. You can also follow along with the verses on the screen. Um, you can also go to the Bible app if you're interested. We have the notes and the verses there as well. Just look for our church. Um, verse 1, it says this, Early on Sunday morning, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb and found that the stone had been rolled away from the entrance. Now, Mary Magdalene was one of Jesus' closest followers, uh, most devoted followers. She had followed Jesus for a quite a while, and it's because Jesus had helped her so significantly in her life. And she was one of the women who continued to follow Jesus because Jesus would continually elevate the status and the dignity of women and children, who in this day didn't really have much status or dignity 
to be spoken of. And so Jesus was, or sorry, rather, Mary was obviously heartbroken about Jesus' crucifixion. But now we're going to see her that she's so distressed because this person who has helped her, they, she thinks somebody's done something to disrespect his body and to disrespect him after he's been killed. And so she wants to do something. So verse 2, she ran and found Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, which if you don't know, this is John writing this. He's actually referring to himself in this, in this passage, but saying um, the disciple that Jesus loved. Continuing on, she said, they have taken the Lord's body out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have taken it or where they have put him. Basically, we went to the tomb to ensure that his body was sort of prepared, and we found that the stone was rolled away. And then we went inside, and the body was gone. And she assumes um, what anyone would assume. Not a miracle, not a resurrection. She assumes that somebody has stolen the body, that there's a grave, grave robber. And the, the one thing is that um, this story is kind of interesting. The whole resurrection story is that nobody sort of writes themselves into this story as the hero. Nobody writes themselves into the story saying, yeah, everybody else didn't believe, but I still believe that Jesus was going to rise from the dead. All of them did not believe that Jesus was going to rise from the dead. And she assumed what anyone in the first century, and I would suggest anyone in our century would assume, somebody must have stolen the body or something happened to the body. There wasn't a resurrection. Something must have happened. Luke also sort of documented this account, and he documented the reaction of the men when, when Mary and these ladies came and told um, Peter and John. Uh, Luke chapter 24 says this, but the, the story sounded like nonsense to the men, so they didn't believe it. And again, sort of in some ways, history sort of repeats itself, because in the interaction between men and women, both men and women were wrong in this story, right? And that doesn't that seem to be the case. In arguments and things, we both are wrong, men and women both. And that that sort of seems like another similarity between the first Easter and this Easter today. And maybe the more significant point, though, for you and for me, is that something else that you have in common with Jesus' first century followers, his friends, that if you acknowledge that Jesus was a historical person, which most people acknowledge he was at least a historical person, if you somehow um, believe that what he said was something that you should listen to and maybe you should heed, or maybe that you should somehow emulate part of Jesus' teaching and his life and his way of living, but you don't think that the re but you do think that the resurrection is nonsense. You're joining in good company. <laughs> Most of Jesus's, if not all of Jesus's early followers, did not believe in the resurrection either. Initially, they didn't think it was actually going to happen. They thought that the Easter morning was going to be just like the morning before, and Jesus was still going to be dead, and nothing was going to change. No one assumed the resurrection. They assumed what everybody would assume: that Jesus would stay dead. Now, Peter and John have been told this story by these women, and they can't just sit there any longer either, because at the very least, these women have actually been at the site, the tomb, where Jesus' body was. Now, they got to go kind of check it out and see what was actually happening. But the whole group of men didn't want to go, because if they all went, they thought they could all be arrested, and, and they didn't want to have that happen. They were basically pretty afraid. So verse 3 of John chapter 20, Peter and the other disciples started out for the tomb. They were both running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. Now, it's possible that John, again, who wrote this, he's one of the two people running. Peter's the other one. Um, John, who wrote this, um, basically, maybe Peter had already been killed at this point when John wrote down his letter and took his account. And basically, he thought, no, maybe it's now safe for me to share this little detail. And he basically says, I won the race. <laughs> he's sort of saying, I won the foot race, and I want to make sure I share that detail. But as we're going to see next, he also shares another not-so-flattering detail about himself. He says, I need to share this other detail as well. Verse 5. This man, he, John, stooped down and looked in and saw the linen wrapping lying there, but he didn't go in. So not only did I win the race, 
Yeah, but I didn't actually go in the tomb because I was pretty afraid and it's a tomb and why am I going to go in by myself and so I'm just not going to go in. Verse 6, then Simon Peter arrived because he was second. Don't forget, he, he went straight inside. And so it might be easy to ask the question, well, why did Peter go straight inside? And I think John would give us some insight and said, and saying, because Peter didn't wait for anything. Peter didn't wait or he spoke too soon too often. He acted too soon. He, he just would go straight into the tomb but then they both saw the strangest thing when they came to the wrapping. Why would somebody steal a body and not steal everything? Because if somebody's going to steal a body, they're just going to take everything with it. Continuing on verse 6, he also noticed the linen wrapping lying there. And while the cloth that had covered Jesus' head was folded up and lying apart from the other wrappings. Like that basically this wasn't a messy or rushed job. That somebody had done this on purpose. That thieves wouldn't really take the time to unwrap a body. They would just take the whole thing. And so Luke also tells us about Peter. Luke gives us another little insight into Peter in this moment. He says that Peter stooped down, he peered in, and he saw the empty linen wrappings. But then Luke adds, then he went home again, wondering what had happened. He didn't like go run out into the streets and say, Jesus is alive, Jesus rose from the dead. He went home wondering, what has just happened here? Like, I don't understand what happened. What has actually just happened here? And this is, again, another important part of this narrative. That the writers of these narratives, that the, the people who put together their account and wrote down the story of what actually happened, they document the skepticism and disbelief of the very men and women who were closest to the action. That these men and women who would eventually become the spokesmen and spokeswomen for this new faith, they doubted and they had skeptic they were skeptical about what happened. They documented their own disbelief. They didn't write themselves into the story as heroes. And these people basically had given up all hope. There was no dream to keep alive. And then John finally gets the courage to kind of go into the tomb. We read this in verse 8. Then the disciple who had reached the tomb first, don't forget I won the race, but I didn't go in first. So a little bit afraid. He also went in. And John in just a moment is going to sort of give us his formula um, that he wants his readers to remember. And it's an important formula for us today. And it's sort of the epicenter of faith. And to talk about that, we need to move to the kitchen. So we're in my kitchen now, and for many of us, the kitchen is actually a great part of our house, mostly because it has food. But for some of us, the kitchen is actually the place where our day is sort of reframed. And uh, I don't know about you, but I don't actually drink coffee, but my wife does. And my wife likes to say this, she likes this quote that she saw online, um, that basically includes, don't ever let anyone tell you that fairy tales don't happen or aren't real. I drink a potion, made from magic beans every morning, and it brings me back to life. Now, I don't know if you like coffee, but um, I really don't. But for some people, that's the truth, that coffee does sort of reframe your day, that when you get up in the morning and you haven't had your coffee, you don't really want to do anything else until you get your coffee. And I love my wife, so I try to help you know make that process go quicker to help her to get her coffee in the morning. And it might seem like the worst day ever, but then coffee happens. We're going to jump back into John, who's about to share with us his formula um, for faith. And he wants his readers to remember this. This is a very important formula for him. He said this in verse 8. Then the disciple who had reached the tomb first, remember, that was him, also went in. And he saw and he believed. That that's really the formula for John. That he saw, he actually experienced something. He saw it with his own eyes. And that led him to belief. For John, seeing came before the believing. It wasn't just that he believed in blind faith. He saw something that led him to believe. And once he believed, 
In many ways, his life was changed, that the whole purpose of his life and the direction of his life was reframed in a new way, in a different way. And the resurrection of Jesus did that in his life, and it reframed almost everything about his life. But the experience wasn't quite the same for Mary, who was also there as well. We read this in verse 11. Mary was standing outside the tomb crying, and as she wept, she stopped and looked in. And she hasn't believed yet. She's still looking in because she's just curious about the clues of what happened to Jesus' body. She hasn't believed that Jesus has risen from the dead yet. Verse 12, she saw two white-robed angels, uh, one sitting at the head and the other at the foot of the place where the body of Jesus had been lying. Dear woman, why are you crying? The angels asked her. Because they have taken away my Lord. And I don't know where they have put him. And that's why she's crying. She still thinks there's a grave robber. She still thinks somebody's taken this body. Continuing on in verse 14. She turned to leave and saw someone standing there. It was Jesus, but she didn't recognize him. Verse 15. Dear woman, why are you crying? Jesus asked her. Who are you looking for? She thought he was the gardener. Sir, she said, if you have taken him away, tell me where you have put him and I will go and get him. And here again, an experience is going to happen in Mary's life that's going to reframe her whole life. Everything that happened before this and everything that's going to happen after this is going to look differently because of this moment that comes next. And the invitation on Easter for you and for me is to allow the resurrection of Jesus to reframe our lives as well. Verse 16, Mary, Jesus said, She turned to him and cried out, Rabbi, which is the Hebrew word for teacher. She realized it was him and that he was alive. Somehow he was still alive. And she saw and believed, just like John saw first and then he believed. It wasn't just blind faith to faith to believe, but there was an actual event that was tied to Mary's belief. And at the start of the day, this seemed like the worst Sunday ever, but then something happened happened. And it wasn't coffee in Mary's case. It was the resurrection of Jesus. Something happened. And her whole life was reframed around sort of a different perspective, that this life might not be all there is to life, that death is not something to be feared anymore, that Jesus can rescue me, Mary would say, from anything if he can rescue me from death and from this situation. Jesus tells Mary to go and find her brothers next. And um, basically, her brothers just met the men, the men who were hiding and afraid to come out. And they're too afraid to come out, just like, unlike you, who actually did come out as a woman. Um, And he he tells Mary to go and find them. Verse 18, Mary Magdalene found the disciples and told them, I have seen the Lord. Then she gave them his message. But they didn't respond by going out to look for Jesus. In fact, they responded with a different part of my house. That Sunday evening, the disciples were meeting behind locked doors, hence the door behind me. And you might ask, why were the disciples meeting behind locked doors? Because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders. And unlike the literal hiding that they were doing, they aren't hiding the details of this event, which is kind of interesting. The doors were locked because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders and what they might do to them. And so on the first Easter evening, the disciples aren't running through the streets saying, there was a miracle, Jesus is alive, he's alive again. They are hiding in their houses behind locked doors. Probably like they had been doing for the previous two nights as well. So one of the other similarities between the first Easter and this Easter is that we're staying indoors out of fear. And not necessarily even bad fear. 
because neither fear was really unfounded. The first Easter, the disciples were in locked doors um, because their fear was pretty legitimate. They thought that um, if they took Jesus, they're probably going to come after us next. If Pilate's given authorization to kill our leader, then there's probably fair game for us to be killed as well. And now on this Easter, our fear is kind of legitimate as well because COVID-19 is dangerous and it can harm our body. However, just like John and Mary and this scared group of men, the invitation for Easter for you and for me is to allow the resurrection of Jesus to reframe our lives. Verse 19, that Sunday evening, the disciples were meeting behind locked doors because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders. Suddenly Jesus was standing among them. Basically, John says that Jesus sort of paid them a visit. Now, he was six feet away for social distancing requirements. Just kidding about that. But Luke records that the followers of Jesus sort of responded the same way that you and I would respond. If you and I had thought we had seen our, our friend killed and buried, and all of a sudden he showed up with us, Luke records it this way. But the whole group was startled and frightened. Of course they were, thinking they had seen a ghost. Suddenly, Jesus was standing there among them. Peace be with you, he said. So Jesus shows up in a room with the men and the women who had seen Jesus killed and seen him buried, and now assumed somebody had taken his body, and all of a sudden Jesus is there with them, he's alive again, and he showed back up in their lives. And it kind of helped them to realize the resurrection of Jesus and seeing him again helped them to realize they didn't have to fear the Jewish leaders anymore. Because apparently their leader, this leader, can overcome death somehow. And Jesus' presence also brings peace. So John tells us this in verse 20, he says, As he spoke, Jesus, as Jesus spoke, Jesus showed them the wounds in his hands and in his side. And these men and women who had seen Jesus are now seeing Jesus and they're seeing his wounds. Those are the things that would change the world. And that is the reason why there are millions of people today on this Easter watching Easter services and celebrating Easter 2,000 years after this event. Because the foundation of the Christian faith is an event. The foundation of our faith is not faith for faith's sake. It's not even a book. But the foundation of the Christian faith is an event, an extraordinary event with profound implications for your life, for your life, for your fears, for your hopes, for your dreams, for your current situation with COVID-19. So as you've probably been hearing the idea of talking points, I just want to kind of wrap up with some resurrection talking points. You've probably heard about your candidates' talking points. Maybe you've even heard about, you know, the talking points about this virus and the different groups and health organizations that are trying to address this. But I want to give you some talking points specifically from the resurrection and these important things that I hope you will remember as it relates to Easter today. First off, the resurrection shows us, number one, suffering is not, the, is not evidence of God's absence. Suffering is not evidence of God's absence that the men and women who experienced extraordinary suffering maintained faith in a God because the foundation of their faith was not a perfect world where no bad things happen to good people. Because if you have lost faith in God because of circumstances, because of pain and suffering in the world, because of pain and suffering in your world, I want to invite you to reconsider a relationship with God today. Because these men and women who bring us the story of Jesus and bring us the resurrection story of Jesus they experienced enormous and incredible pain. They saw incredible pain and suffering in their world. And many of them also experienced the incredible pain and suffering that we can't even imagine. And yet somehow they believed, and they believed because these men and women saw the worst possible thing they could imagine happen to the best person they'd ever known. And so it sort of debunked that myth. It wasn't even a thing back then because bad things could happen to good people. And they believed anyhow in a God 
and their faith in God was introduced by this guy named Jesus, who invited them to call him Heavenly Father. That This same God that, that used Jesus, that, that was introduced to people through Jesus, invites us to call him Heavenly Father as well. And I don't know about you, but I don't think God can be absent from a person's life if he resurrects somebody from the dead. And somehow Jesus exemplifies this, that suffering is not evidence of God's absence. Number two, there is more to this life than this life. Because Jesus taught and lived that way. And not only that, then he conquered death itself. And you and I are invited into a kingdom that's not of this world, that this world doesn't even understand. It doesn't make sense to this world. And it's an upside down kingdom where the king would give up his life for his subjects. Because life and this life is not all there is to life. It's something bigger than that. Number three, a resurrected Jesus reframes how we see life itself. And the resurrection of Jesus is what reframed the lives of all the first century followers of Jesus. It reframed specifically Peter. If you think about Peter, Peter was a guy who his whole life was reframed by this one event in history, the resurrection. Because before the resurrection, he was sort of, you know, coming up with Judas's henchmen were coming at him in the garden and coming at Jesus. And he got scared and he ran away. And then a little bit later, a middle school girl confronted him and asked if he knew Jesus. And he denied he knew Jesus because he was afraid of a middle school girl and what she might do to him. And yet after the resurrection, we see that he would walk towards danger. And he would walk towards the very people who had Jesus killed and who could kill him. And he would give his life away. Peter's life was reframed. All of the early followers of Jesus' life were reframed. Their lives were reframed because of the resurrection of Jesus. And this was the power of the resurrection in the first century, in a world that was very, very dangerous. And this is the same power of the resurrection in the 21st century, the first digital Easter world that we live in that is also very dangerous. So the invitation on Easter is for me and for you to allow the resurrection of Jesus to reframe our lives. So how might God want to reframe your life? Maybe he wants to reframe your fear. Maybe he wants to reframe that life is bigger than just this life. Maybe he wants to reframe the purpose of your life. Or maybe he wants to reframe your view of him and how it relates with suffering. Because while Easter, this Easter, is different from the first Easter, Jesus is still alive. And he wants to be life and he wants to have a relationship with you and me. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for Easter. Thank you for um, the resurrection story that we have. And thank you for the, the disbelief and the doubters and the skeptics that are included their story in this. That is real life, that we have a hard time believing that somebody can come back from the dead, just like people in the first century. And while there are a lot of differences between us and the first century people, the one thing that still seems to ring true is that you did rise from the dead and how that can potentially reframe and change our lives if that's true so lord i pray for the skeptic today i pray for the people that um, are, are unsure and rightfully so it seems like a crazy claim would you please help them to have some sort of a step today that they could take that would help them to believe that they could see some sort of evidence they would realize that these are documented accounts of, of your life whatever it might take god would you please do something in their lives would you please be with those who are looking for something today that maybe they believe in you, but they're looking for more hope. They're looking for life. They're looking for a change in perspective. They're looking for some way to lean on in this time of fear. Would you please help them remind them, show them, guide them to put their trust in you that because you conquered death, you are somebody that can be trusted for all that life entails. 
And God, for the people that maybe have been following you for a while and maybe maybe they need to see life a little bit differently. Maybe they need to trust you a little bit more. Maybe they need to see that you might want to use their life for something bigger than just their life. Would you please speak to them as well, God? Would you please help all of us who are struggling with anxiety and isolation and fear? Would you please be with those who are on the front lines and who are dealing with this and helping us to deal with this, this, this uh, crisis? Would you please help those of us who can help to help? Would you please be with those who are at home and who can't help? Would you please help us to think of them and pray for them and help them when we can? It's only in Jesus' name that we pray, the resurrected Savior of the world who's alive today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.